160th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any other podcasting app you might be listening to me via whatever. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York on a Monday. Happy Memorial Day. Two people that have served our country. Just wanted to give a special shout out to uh, a couple people in my life that have uh, were in the military. Uh, my grandpa, uh, who passed away a couple years ago, Turner Lane. He was in the military. Also, my cousin Robert uh, and my great uncle Larry. And uh, on my mom's side of the family, I have two cousins, uh, Tim and Tom, who served in the military as well. So, just want to give a shout out to everybody out there who helps keep our country great and safe and protect it. Uh, so I, I thought that was very important to say before we started off the show. But here's what we're going to have. We're going to have a great show for you today. This is going to cap off the end of the NFL draft, right, for the 2020 NFL draft. We're going to have Kenny Sim come on very shortly, and we are going to, he's going to give his NFL draft grades for the NFC South and the NFC West. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Now, Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Kenny Sim on the show. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We wouldn't rich, we wouldn't poor, lived on a cold or sag till my parents divorced. I drove a hammer down for Pick up truck, we had to drive 10 miles just Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have Kenny Sim with us. Does a lot of scouting for 247 Sports. How you doing, Kenny? Good, man. Good to be uh, kind of finishing up this NFC with you. So, you know, look forward to kind of breaking down the remainder, uh, the remaining teams in the NFL that we haven't touched upon yet. Yep, and let's start with the NFC South. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they draft your favorite offensive tackle, your highest-ranked offensive tackle, Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. What did you make of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft, Kenny? Yeah, I really liked what the Tampa Bay Bucs did. Um, Left tackle was definitely a problem that they needed to address, especially with uh, offensive tackle help for Tom Brady. They do that with Tristan Wirfs. I thought he was the best tackle in this draft. I really like his upside. Um, he should come in right now and be a productive starter for them. And then they come back in day, on, on, on day two. And, and I like what they did here. So they get a, 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 a really just a ball hawk playmaker in the secondary. I think he led the NCAA in, in interceptions last year, Antoine Winfield Jr. They get him in uh, round two, kind of where all those safeties went off the board. So they had, you know, a surplus of safeties around there, like a like a McKinney, a Grant Delpit, a Winfield, a Jeremy Chin. So they kind of fell into a starter at safety um, as those safeties continue to move down the board. And then in round three, they get Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. But Keyshawn Vaughn is a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, and that's what you know what Tom Brady wants, what Tom Brady likes. Um, so he could potentially, you know, I think he could see more time than than uh, one would think, maybe even more than Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, just because of his pass-catching ability out of the backfield and kind of how that fits, kind of in like a James uh, a James White role in Tampa Bay. Um, and then we'll see what happens with the second Minnesota player. So Tyler Johnson was an extremely productive player. Didn't really have the measurables, though, but he was a productive player. I think he caught like nine, uh, 90 passes last year for Minnesota constant red zone target so he's a guy that you know i don't know maybe he could step into that number three role at 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 receiver behind mike evans and uh chris godwin and then they kick a flyer i remember telling you about this khalil davis kid from nebraska the davis brothers 
they're really athletic. A little raw, though, but, I mean, I think with their height, weight, speed, their three-cone drill and stuff like that, um, they were kind of on par with the athletic ability of Aaron Donald and Ed Oliver. Now, I'm not going to say that they're going to be those guys. I mean, he was a six-round pick, so, so you see a lot of ability, not a lot of productivity on the tape. But, you know, potential flyer that they could work with, and they have really good development uh, with Todd Bolts anchoring that defense. I've always been a Todd Bolts fan, so, you know, a, a, a potential young guy to develop into a starter. But um, first and foremost with offensive tackle, they addressed that, though, with Christian Wurfs. So I think Christian Wurfs kind of fell in their lap, too. They traded up to 13, but I was surprised he, he was on the board still at 13 and was – um, the last of those big four tackles to go off the board. So, um, real nice pick for them, though. Can Tristan Wirfs come in right away and be Tom Brady's blindside protector? Because they're going to need it at his age. Yeah, definitely. I think he definitely will, too. Um, so, he's athletic in the run game. Needs a little bit of more work as a pass protector. Just, just kind of cleaning up the finer points of his game. Kind of you see sometimes he kind of over oversets sometimes that causes him to get beat. But he's a guy that can play left tackle or right tackle. Kurt Ferentz has pumped out NFL linemen for decades at Iowa. Um, Kristen Wurst was actually the first true freshman to start for Kurt Ferentz, too. So that says a lot. Um, I don't think he'll have a problem, just like with, Jed, with Jedrick Wills. I don't think he's going to have a problem moving from right to left tackle in the NFL. Um, so I think he'd come in and definitely be a blindside protector for Tom Brady. And what's your grade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yes, I give them a solid B. Um, I like what they did. You know, probably getting a starter in worse than Antoine Winfield and then getting some guys, definitely with Keyshawn Vaughn, who should contribute this year. I think he, uh, Vaughn is definitely a guy that has the skill set to kind of last a long time in that backfield with Tom Brady, depending on how long he plays. But definitely, you know, having a running back that can make an impact in the passing game, you know, you could stay in the NFL a long time if you had that skill set. So um, those three picks are the ones that I'd be kind of high on. Um, right at the end of the draft, too, they took another fast kid, Raymond Callis running back from Louisiana, really a speedster, too. I think he's a little bit more of a kick returner, but he's got some speed, too. Uh, potentially, you could put him in the backfield, too. Overall, solid B. I think it was an above-average draft, and they fit their biggest need with left tackle. Now, let's go to the Atlanta Falcons. They draft one of my personal favorite corners in the draft, even though he had a rough championship game. Against LSU, but hey, who didn't struggle against LSU this year, right? A.J. Terrell, what did you make of the Atlanta Falcons draft? Yeah, so they kind of met some needs um, with their first three picks at at corner. Definitely in a, always a division I think that puts up a lot of points. Um, and then losing Desmond Trufant, they, they fit a need at corner. They fit a need at defensive line and interior offensive line, too, with Matt Hennessy thought he was probably the best interior lineman too um not sure how much help they got in the second level of their defense i'm not totally sure if they could fit those needs with with michael walker and jalen hawkins um kind of in that second and third level of the defense um and then they took a punter in their last pick too but um the first three picks you know definitely you know you're looking for a starter in terrell I really think this Marlon Davidson kid, he's a guy that Derek Brown won SEC Player of the Week four times. Marlon Davis won it three times. So um, I'm sure he's helped out just like a lot of people are playing around great players. But Marlon Davidson was a guy I thought was a top 50 pick. They get him at 47. Um, Dan Quinn and the Atlanta Falcons love drafting those athletic defensive tackles. Um, Don't be surprised if Marlon Davidson is the best pick in this draft class for the Falcons. Um, and then as kind of uh, they get a little older, older on the offensive line, you know, I think a potential starter down the road in Matt Hennessy. So what would your grade be for the Falcons? Yeah, so i give them a B plus. Um, 
you know, AJ Terrell, he, he did have a tough championship game, but he went to Clemson and he was a multiple year starter for them. Um, and then I really like the Marlon Davidson pick. I think he could really, you know, I think he could surprise some people. Like I said, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you take a look back at this draft in a few years and he's the best player in this class for them. Um, so I give them a B plus, um, especially addressing that back, especially addressing the defense because I think potentially you could project um, their offense has 11 first-round picks over the years are starting for the Falcons. Take a look at Todd Gurley, Matt Ryan, Jones and Ridley, um, Hayden Hurst. They got in the trade with the Baltimore Ravens. They have, you know, all of their offensive starters have been first-round picks, so they definitely need to address the defense. And this is a defense that kind of came in um, in the second half of the year when Raheem Morris took over the play-calling duties. Um, so, you know, getting guys first and second-round picks hopefully could try to make that defense um, keep on the upswing in a make-or-break year, I think, for Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn loves fast, physical guys. Kind of that Seattle Seahawks style, so we'll see what that does. Now let's go to the Carolina Panthers. They draft that other Auburn defensive tackle, Derek Brown, who's a man amongst boys. What did you make of the Panthers draft class? The first draft class for uh, the Baylor head coach, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Matt Rule. Matt Rule. Yep. Yeah, so they had they had seven picks, and they went with defense on all seven picks in this draft. They didn't take a single offensive player. So, um, so, 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 kind of a couple things here is, you know, Matt Rule has definitely been a guy that wants to build it really from the studs of the house and kind of build it from there. Start off in the basement, if you use that analogy. So he started off, you know took over 1-11 Baylor, took over, you know, a two-win Temple team and built them up into respectable programs. So he's a guy that wants to do it from the ground up. So I think he really wants to um, take take athletic guys that could run and have length. That was kind of what he wanted to look for at Baylor, not getting the top recruits. I think he kind of carried that over to the NFL. And I think he wants to start off, you know, building his brand of football on the defensive side of the ball. And hopefully seeing these picks, you know, if you, if you could potentially hit on, you know, three of those guys, you know, you could have three, three and a half players on your defense be in this class for years to come, all under rookie deals. Really like the Derek Brown pick. I think he's going to come in right away, be a fourth potential Pro Bowl player. Um, alongside of him, he'll he'll have a long defensive end, Yitor Gross Matos, too. And then I really like this Jer- Jeremy Chin guy. So Jeremy Chin... Um, Kind of like an Isaiah Simmons-like. He's, he's 6'3", 220 as well. He runs 4'4", 4, 4, um, You know, he was like a 99th percentile athlete, too. So I don't think you'll have too much. I, I, I don't think um, the transition from FCS to NFL will be too big for him. But that's definitely a guy that you can move around multiple spots on defense, multiple, you know, spots in the field and sub-package looks. Um but didn't do anything to address the offensive side of the ball. I think potentially for the uh, Panthers, I think an optimal draft for them could have been maybe trading that seventh pick and picking up another first-round pick, so having two next year. Um, but they were the first team, um, I think one of the two teams in NFL history to have an entire draft on one side of the ball. Oh, no. How successful do you think this draft will be given that Matt Rule knows the college game? And people always say this, right? If you're in college for a couple years, you kind of know what you're looking for because for the most part, you recruited these players. You've seen these players. How do you think that knowledge helps him? Yeah, I think it helps a lot. And and it's going to help, you know, probably in the first two drafts because, like you said, I think, you know, he, he recruited a lot of these guys, had them stacked up on a personnel board, just like NFL teams do. So he's seen those guys, and now he really has a chance to kind of, um, you know, everyone, I mean, everyone's a lead in the NFL, but he, he finally has a chance to, him and his coaching staff, work with top-end talent that they didn't have the ability to do that at Baylor. But it, it was really interesting hearing Matt, Matt Rule and what he looked for at Baylor was 
he looked for prototypes. He looked for, you know, a prototype height, weight, length, and then trying to develop those kids so at least physically they could be on the same scale as like Texas and Oklahoma. So he kind of used that same type of player profile as you could see with like, I mean, Derek Brown's a guy, he's an all 32 player, he could fit all 32 schemes. But getting, you know, some long athletic players like Gross Mattis and Jeremy Chin too, um, you could kind of see like how he put his stamp on that, but it definitely helps, you know, knowing these kids and recruiting um, over the years. So, you know, this year and next year, um, he'll be able to do that and contribute um, in terms of like the draft pro- process for the, the Panthers. And just talk about really quick when you mentioned Derek Brown being an All-32 player. What does that mean? Uh, that means that he could come in and it, it, it doesn't matter what scheme you're playing, he could fit up. Some players, you know, they could only play an odd front, they could only play an even front, they could only play, you know, offensive linemen, you know, maybe only fit for zone blocking schemes. Derek Brown could fit anything. He could play, I mean, he could take on double teams as a one technique and an odd front. He could play, you know, in a 4-3 defense. He could play a three technique and just be athletic and shoot the gap and run up the field. But Derek Brown was one of the, you know, one of the better defensive tackles in the last few years to come out. It doesn't matter what scheme you're playing. All 32 teams could have picked Derek Brown, and, and, and he could have fit the system, no matter what system you're playing, and just play ball and be a productive player. Now, what grade are you giving the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, I'm gonna give them. A, I'm, I'm gonna give them a B minus. So, so it, it was a so B minus above average draft. I like some of the players they did. Um, I like some of the players they took, but you know, not really improving much on that offensive line. You know, not really kind of building upon some of the skill guys they got on the offensive side of the ball, and not taking any offensive guys for that matter, um, it, it's kind of like you get like like half credit, like a, like a half a grade. Like, yes, you address defense, you know, good players there, but you did nothing on the offensive side of the ball. And this is an offense, again, you know, had Kyle Allen a lot last year. He's going to be playing Teddy Bridgewater, too. So, you know, you're going to need to score to win in this division. Didn't do anything on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's coming on down the road. Um, but... You know, I give them a B minus though because I like some of the building blocks that they have on defense that, it, that, that they took in this rookie class. Is it possible that Matt Rule knows that they're not going to be this good this year, so they're drafting defense, knowing that they probably can't beat the Falcons, the Buccaneers, or the Saints? They get the number one overall pick and they take Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, it, 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 it's going to be interesting with them because Teddy Bridgewater. Went five to zero as a starter for the Pan- for for the Saints last year, and then uh, a couple years ago he won a game when um, he came back from injury. So he was kind of like on the injured list. Came back though, but he won a game at the end of the year for the Vikings. So I think Teddy Bridgewater though might be a little too good to tank. Um, if you're kind of thinking that, and and there are going to be some teams, you know, that are going to kind of just throw in the towel at the midway point and tank for like a Trevor Lawrence especially, and Justin Fields, too, for that matter. But, you know, you're probably going to have to win one game or two games to get, you know, a first pick or a second pick. I think Teddy Bridgewater, though, is, is a little bit, you know, too good to go 2-14, and 14, though. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. It will be very interesting indeed. Now let's go to the New Orleans Saints. They draft Caesar Roots, center out of Michigan. They also get Zach Braun, pass rusher out of Wisconsin. What did you make of the New Orleans Saints draft class? Yeah, so this is this is a um, so they only pick four guys in this draft. One of them being a, a backup QB and Tommy Stevens, but this this. This roster is really solid across the board. I think it might be the best 53-man roster, 1 through 53, in the NFL. They're really complete on both sides of the ball. But, you know, they traded a lot of D3, uh, a lot of day three picks to get players, one of them being Eli Apple, too. So they had four picks only, but I, I really think they made the most of it. So they go with, you know, definitely they get a starter in Cesar Ruiz, really good center. Uh, first round grade on him at center, so so they get him. 
and that's a loaded um, that's a loaded offensive line group. So now you have Ryan Ramchuk, um, Armstead, and uh, Andrews Pete out of Stanford, and Caesar Ruiz. In. You know, you could name all the stars on the offensive line, and then they come back and and um, with the wide receiver room, which is solid too. Tight end is going to be solid because now you have two tight ends now with with uh, Jer- Jared Cook and Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman, not much of a blocker, but definitely more of a receiver. So you can see how Sean Page is going to scheme this guy open. Not going to do much in the blocking game for you, but you know having an athletic tight end that could get down the field too. That's just another weapon for Drew Brees. Two tight ends now they could go with, and then they traded up actually with the Cleveland Browns to get Zach Bond at edge rusher. So. Um, this was definitely a draft where, you know, you have a complete roster, but they kept plugging away with their first three picks to get three guys as rookies that could contribute to as they continue one of the late, you know, one or two years left to win a Super Bowl. Um, they get three guys that I think are going to help them too. And I think that just further enhances their draft. I just think that they just continue to get better. They continue to build their roster and, you know, really just across the board. They don't really, I mean, they don't have, you know, really any holes on this team anymore. Now, what I do have to ask you is this. It, I actually just saw this on Bleacher Report. Is it hyperbole to say that the Saints at backup sat their second team is better than some NFL first teams? Um, is Drew Brees going to be playing quarterback in these games, though? <laughs> Let's say Jameis is. If he is, if he is, I think him and Sean Payton, you know, with that system, they could put up, you know, 30 points on anyone and, you know, not having the full second team, but if they were rattled by injuries, um, they could definitely hold, hold down the four. Even take a look at last year, you know, Drew Brees missed five games. They went 5-0. and oh. So, I mean... There would be a few teams that if, if, if the Saints, you know, if the Saints had 21, uh, 20, 22 starters and a lot of them were injured, Let's, I mean, even if they had maybe 15 starters injured, I think they could win some games against the NFL team. So, so I agree with that. Um, I think their roster is that good. Now, you mentioned they draft Tommy Stevens, quarterback out of Mississippi State. What are they going to do with him? Because they already have Breeze, obviously. Jameis Winston, they just signed him. They're bringing back Taysom Hill for another year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's their third. I mean, that's their third guy to keep kind of their TV pipeline, too, that they had last, last year with Breeze, Bridgewater, and Hill. Um, that's just a third guy. So... You know, if, if they did have an injury, if, if, if Taysom Hill went down or Drew Brees went down, I think they could get him up and try to get him, you know, ready to be at least functional if he were to get on the field. But I think this is a guy that they're potentially, I mean, seventh-round pick, so I think they're trying to groom him maybe to be a backup down the road. So if Brees retires, if Taysom Hill has one year left in his contract, if he leaves, or, or he has a two-year extension, actually, but if, if they start seeing guys over the years kind of lead that QB room, I think Tommy Stevens is a guy that they want to try to groom to keep in the room, keep him as a backup quarterback, um, and kind of be just like a, a guy that you feel is valuable enough to keep on a roster. I think that's kind of the plan with Tommy Stevens. Would they carry four quarterbacks on their roster then? I think they'd carry three quarterbacks on their roster, Breeze Hill and Tommy Stevens. What about Jameis? Oh, yeah, they got him, too. So, yeah, I mean, they would. I mean, they could potentially keep four. So, you could keep four, and they have a roster that's strong enough to kind of, you know, a couple of things. So, so the rosters are going up from 53 to 55. And I think their roster is strong enough where they could get away with having four quarterbacks potentially. But I mean, I mean and even Taysom Hill doesn't even really count as a quarterback. I mean, he's he, you know he's yeah, exactly, exactly, Daryl. Um, so you could kind of see that. Um, but like a seventh round pick, a pick two forty. I, I I think you know those spots aren't guaranteed though either. So I think they want to see what they have in him. Um, maybe flip him through the roster cuts and try to flip him on the practice squad too. 
but I think that's kind of what you're getting with Tommy Stevens. And what's your grade for the Saints? Yeah, I'm going to give them an A- minus because, you know, they get a really good center, really productive player, physical in the run game, and Caesar Ruiz ready right now. And then I'd like this Adam Troutman pick, too, just having, you know, two athletic tight ends that could run down the field with Kamara, Emmanuel Sanders, and Michael Thomas. That's very impressive. That's a very impressive 12-personnel grouping, too. And then, you know, Zach Bond was productive. He plays hard at Wisconsin. Um, he could definitely fit in the pool and kind of, like, play as a, as a rotational player, potential starter, too. So with those three guys, you know, I think they made the most of their limited resources in the draft. So I give them an A minus, especially having that solid. I mean, that's a really good offensive line now. Now let's go to the NFC West, our last division. They've had the last two NFC Super Bowl representatives, but let's start with a team that has not made the Super Bowl. Since the unfaithful Marshawn Lynch run that wasn't called, and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor lost their minds, and it's a long story. We don't need to get into that. But what did you make of the Seattle Seahawks draft? Yeah, so the Seattle Seahawks, they, have, they go with eight players. Um, and for the first time in, I think, seven or eight years, they didn't trade their first-round pick and move back in the draft. But this was a draft, so so I really didn't like in round one the Jordan Brooks pick in round one for them for a couple of reasons. I think you could have got him in round two. And you take a look at their team. If they play, I mean, if they play, you know, nickel a lot, their, their two linebackers are Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. Those are definitely guys that you want to keep on the field, too. Even if K.J. Wright, you know, a little bit older, but, like, at 30 years old, he could still play, too, so it's going to be hard to get your first-round pick on the field. And I think if you put Jordan Brooks on the field for one of these guys in the future, like if you if you had to do a cost-cutting measure, a salary cap hit, I think you're getting worse by dropping off Bobby Wagner or K.J. Wright and putting in Jordan Brooks, too. Daryl Taylor, got to stay healthy. Um, decent player like his game. I think Damon Lewis is a guy that's going to need to get a little better uh, before you're ready to put him on the field. Um and then they kind of take some developmental players like Alton Robinson, guys that need some development there. I do like DJ Dallas. I will say this about DJ Dallas, who was the 144th pick for them. Um, I thought he was probably the best pass protector at running back, and he's a guy that could catch the ball out of the backfield. So it gives him a little bit more speed, some more versatility in the passing game than you know a Chris Carson or a Marshawn Lynch if they want to go with more of a, a power guy. You know. You know Pete Carroll always wants a, you know, definitely a, a big physical in-between tackles back. I think D.J. Dallas could give them some versatility in the pass game as well. But someone has to have – so, 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 so Daryl, if you're rating the 32 draft, some team has to be 30, 31, or 32. Um, but I think the Seahawks are one of those teams just because, I mean, they had some head scratcher with Jordan Brooks. No one had him as a first-round pick. He could have gotten him in round two. Um the best drafts that they've had. Well, and also interesting, too, because Seattle usually makes some head-scratching picks. I can remember when they drafted Bruce Irvin in the first round, everybody was like, what the hell? I can also remember when they drafted, and I'm forgetting his name, Penny? Rashad Penny? They drafted Rashad Penny, too, and everybody was like, what are you doing? So they've always made some head-scratching moves. Yeah, exactly. And they've always been, I mean, they've been a team that traditionally wanted to trade back, but... um, and then they, they, they love pulling out of the undrafted free agent market, especially at wide receiver and offensive line, too. So um, they definitely go by, I mean, Pete Carroll and John Snyder, I mean, they've made the playoffs, you know, eight out of nine years. So they definitely go about it a different way, though, but it works for them. What grade would you give the Seattle Seahawks? Yes, yeah, so I'm, so I'm going to give them a C-minus because they didn't – so, so – um, Russell Wilson, as good as he is, I mean, he's been sacked like 36 times, 42 times over the last few years. Takes a lot of sacks. Um, so, you know, you would have liked to see them spent one of those picks instead of a Jordan, instead of a Jordan Brooks potentially on a uh, on a tackle on an offensive lineman. 
And then, you know, a lot's going to be on if Daryl Taylor could stay healthy, too, which he did in at Tennessee. Um, and then, you know, DJ da- Dallas as well. But, you know, I think overall, though, especially kind of not liking that Jordan Brooks pick, um, I give them a C minus, a little bit below average. Now, let's go to the Arizona Cardinals. They draft another one of my favorite guys, the super freak of the draft, Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, safety, edge rusher, whatever, safety, whatever you want to play Isaiah Simmons, he can play anything out of Clemson. Uh, what what did you make of the Arizona Cardinals draft? Yeah, so they definitely, you know, really get a solid grade with that day one pick of Isaiah Simmons being a stud defender. Um, and they get some value on day two. So they get a guy that who had a you know a chance to go in the first two rounds in Josh Jones, four year starter at Houston. They they pick him up and they needed some offensive tackle help as well. So they, you know, plug in Josh Jones too. Um, I know it was talked about if if they were gonna be one of the teams that goes tackle. So they get Josh Jones in round uh, in round three, so you know that day two pick should have a starter, and then they're going to throw some. Um, they're going to throw some buys in the interior, so they get a really big, a really big nose tackle, like a three hundred thirty pounder, um, out of Utah, and then Rashad Lawrence too, out of LSU. Um, and then I think one pick here that is just of note is I think they get you know definitely a guy that went lower than expected. I think a guy, a really solid value pick is Eno Benjamin, productive player, 1,000-yard rusher for Arizona State. Um, he's a guy that could definitely step in, I think, especially in this offense um, with Kenyon Drake. Is, you know, I think he could step in potentially, and the offense would keep flowing. It would keep moving um, if they have some injuries at running back. And I think Benjamin could step in and be – you know, just as productive there. Physical back, um, productive player too. I think that was a value pick. I was surprised he fell to the seventh round. But, you know, it starts off with Isaiah Simmons, and they definitely have, you know, a chess piece to move around. It's going to be seeing George Kittle spying on Russell Wilson. Um, that that misdirection offense that the Rams run that gives teams a lot of fits. Definitely having a guy that could kind of put like a, put an eraser on certain things to get in Isaiah Simmons um, really was the headliner for the Cardinals. What grade would you give the Cardinals? Yeah, I'd give them a B plus because I really like what they did um, with Isaiah Simmons, obviously. He's going to be a, a contender for defensive rookie of the year. And they then, then they needed a fit. Um, they needed to fill left tackle at some point. And then they do that at round three. I think that was a value pick, too. I don't. I mean, I think Josh Jones could have gone in the first two rounds. So then they get him in round three, um, a feather in the cap for them. They get big in the interior with those two big defensive tackles. And then the Eno Benjamin pick as a potential, you know, a potential starter that, or, or a starter or definitely a guy that could contribute in round seven. That's a plus if you could do that. They get that with Eno Benjamin, I believe. So, overall, I think I'd give them a B-plus. I think they get a lot of guys that could, you know, play and be starters down the road for them. Now, let's go to a team that was in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. The Los Angeles Rams. They draft Cam Akers, running back out of Florida State. What did you make of the Rams draft? They've traded away a lot of their picks for players such as Jalen Ramsey, I believe Michael Peters. I mean, Marcus Peters yep. when they had him. So, so what, what do you make of the Rams draft class? Obviously, they valued stars over youngsters. But, but what's your thoughts on the on the draft grade for the Rams? Yeah, so um, a couple of things with the Rams. So they had, you know, just a, a flex of players that, that have gone out. So they're replacing Todd Gurley with Cam Akers. They're replacing Brandon Cooks with Van Jefferson. Dante Fowler, that edge rusher with Trail Lewis. And then over the years at safety, um, have they, they've had some guys leave. They get Terrell Burgeon. So it's going to take some time. But so, so they got some young guys to kind of fill in those needs, um, especially with the fact that I think they have like 
$60 million in their cap allocated to Jared Goff and Aaron Donald. So you're going to need a hit on these guys. Um, I think Cam Akers is going to be a good pick for them. He'd be a good fantasy pick for them um, at, at running back, but I think they could have waited for a running back and kind of taken a more valuable position in round two. I think J.K. Dobbins was better than Cam Akers as well. Um, they go with him. And, and the Van Jefferson pick is a pick I like a lot because he's a big receiver, he's strong, he's physical. One of the best route runners, too, to get open. And I think, you know, being in that offense opposite of Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, he could step on the field at some point in those three receiver steps and get open and really be kind of a kind of a guy that you didn't expect to be like a like a solid player in the offense. I think you can look back and say, "Oh, Van Jefferson, that's a solid." I mean, just a solid player for them. So they get him in round uh, in round two. Terrell Lewis, you know, he's got the trait, but I think he played six games last year for Alabama, so he's going to need to stay healthy. And Terrell Burgess is a guy that he could play big nickel. He could be in those three safety sets even. He's definitely a guy that could move around the defense too. Um, so overall, like they're definitely going to have to hit on these young guys to keep the program going. If you could get Cam Akers to be, you know, half a Todd Gurley. What Todd Gurley does, but like 80% of him. If you could get Van Jefferson to be a starter, like Cooper Cup did as a rookie, like a, a, like, like a productivity of Brandon Cook, that's a plus. If you could get anything out of Terrell Lewis off the edge, um, kind of like what Dante Beller did. A lot of pressure on those first three picks to fill in for the guys that they had to eventually replace. What draft grade would you give the Rams? I'd give them a B plus only because I think overall, I, I mean, a lot of these guys I like, though. I mean, so Cam Akers, I mean, you know, whether he goes in round two or round three, Cam Akers was a former five-star recruit. Um, really had nothing at offensive line at Florida State, but you know I really thought I mean he's a guy that could catch the ball in the backfield. He could you know run the ball in that zone blocking scheme really well. Van Jefferson should be a productive player for them. These are guys you know just going through the draft review at least the first four pick. Um, all these guys that I like in the draft too. I give them a B plus. I think they're going to hit on a few of these guys at the top. And. How important do you think this draft is for them? Because they are a team that's given up a lot of their capital for guys, like I said, like a Marcus Peters, like a Jalen Ramsey. So how, how big is this for the Rams? For for a guy like a uh, Dante Fowler? Yeah, it's a huge trap for them because they have about $60 million allocated to two players in Aaron Donald and Jared Goff. They also, so the way Todd Gurley um he signed an extension that cut him two years later. <laughs> so he didn't even get the extension money, though. So so that's dead cap space, too. So they have a lot of dead cap space. So that's, so so for the viewers out there, that's just salary cap space that you have to pay the guys that aren't on your team. So, you know, your 55-man roster is now like a 60-man roster that, that, that you have to pay for. Um, and then it's also big, too, because even like a guy like Jalen Ramsey is, they, they traded for him, but they didn't sign an extension for him. So they spent two first-round picks. He has all the leverage, so he's going to command $20 million himself, too. Um, so they're going to have to pay that off to get, you know, you know to get what they paid for, two first-round picks. They're going to have to sign him somehow. So really is when you have, you know, so many guys at the top end of your roster making that much money. You need to have those rookies come in on those cost-effective contracts, and you need those rookies to hit and play well so you can get productive play out of those guys and kind of fill in the, the middle class of your roster because you have so much allocated to the top of your team. So it, it's a really important draft for these guys to hit on. Okay, and let's go to our last team, a team that was in the Super Bowl just months ago. The San Francisco 49ers, they draft Javon, Javon Kinshaw, who I told you, Kenny, wins the award for uh, people saying he grew up in a poor upbringing, but during the draft night is in the most beautiful house I've ever seen. Javon Kinshaw definitely wins that award. But needless to say, they also, they had a couple picks, but they got Javon Kinshaw, who was their first pick. What did you make of the draft? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a 
Yeah, so this is a, a, a draft similar to the Saints, where they didn't have the type of quantity of draft picks, but they had the quality of players, I believe. Um, so what what the 49ers did, and I really like, is they want to strengthen a strength. So the strength of their team is defensive line. And so they don't want to see that drop off. They, they want to use that to continue to be a strength. So they strengthened a strength by getting Javon Kinlaw, best player at the senior bowl. I thought was a top 10 player overall. They get him at pick 14. He's going to fit in to that, um, fit in with, um, with Nick Bosa off the edge, with uh, DeForest Buckner, as well, uh, with, with uh, Eric Armstead. Um, he fits the DeForest Buckner role. So what they do here is they keep that defensive line um, all four guys on that team still have all first-round picks across the line. They get the pass rush still. Um, they, they keep that strength of their team up. And then they also lost um, they lost Emmanuel Sanders, but they come back in the first round. You know, that was definitely kind of a pick that we even thought that they could have taken, you know, a C.D. Lamb, a Jerry Judy even, um, at wide receiver. They go with Brandon Ayuk who's an interesting player because he, he has such a big catch radius to beat you on the double move, too. I think with Kyle Shanahan, if you get this guy out of space, he's going to be a highly productive player for them. Um, so he'll, he'll fit in right in with Debo Samuel as well. And and then you gotta, gotta kind, you kind of got to think that they spent day two pick on D Ford and the Emmanuel Sanders trade, so they didn't have a day two pick. Um but then they flipped a fifth and a third for Trent Williams. So they get Trent Williams coming in to start for them at left tackle. So we'll see if he can still, you know, play at a high level. A guy I think he's like an eight-time pro bowler. Used to be one of the best left tackles in the game. Um, if they get, you know, something out of him, I mean, that's definitely a, another pro bowler that they got too. So overall, I like how they kept up, you know, the strength of their team at defensive line. They had a need at receiver. They fit in the first round, and then they find a way to finagle Trent Williams too. So overall, it kept the it, it keeps the 49ers at a level with the Seahawks, with the Saints, and the Bucks potentially to be the top team in the NFC. So I like what they did there. How can Javon Kenshaw come out right away and replicate what DeForest Buckner had? Because, right, they trade away DeForest Buckner to the Colts. So can Javon Kenshaw come in right away and kind of have that same production? Exactly. I think you could have similar production. You get him on a rookie deal. You don't need to pay him, you know, $20 million. And and he's going to be so, – so two things with him is he's athletic enough and long enough to rush the passer as a three technique. So you could definitely get some play there in the running game. But also, you know, playing with D. Ford and Nick Boza and all those first-round picks, I think that's going to make him better, too. I mean, you know, if you play with great players, you know, it's going to make things easy for you. So I think you could get him on some one-on-one matchups against unathletic guards. Um, but he, he, should, he should reap the benefits of playing with talented guys along him on that, on that front four in San Francisco and, and being just just being a good player to begin with, too, it's going to help them. So I think that's where you could see, you know, similar production from Kinlaw at the defensive tackle position. And what's your grade for the 49ers? Yeah, overall, I'm going to give them a B plus because they were able to get Kinlaw, Ayuk, and Trent Williams still, despite not having a day two pick. So I, I think those guys could be really solid players, productive players, and maybe put the 49ers over the hump. I don't really want to give them a. I, I don't really want to give them an A though, just because they had only five picks in the draft, three of them on day three. So I'm going to give them a solid B plus. Um, and lastly, just potentially just look out for Colton McKivitz out of West Virginia too, as a guy that kind of fits that zone blocking scheme, maybe a starter down the road too. But I really like, you know, the combination of what they did on day one with Kinlaw and I. You got to give them a B plus. Okay, we we got through the whole NFC. Oh my God, we got through it all. Thank you, Kenny. Yeah, thanks for having me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. wait, wait, Kenny. I have one more thing for you. I was scrolling through yeah. Twitter today, and I saw this, and this just tickled my heart. And I want your opinion on this. So they list the top. 25 running backs of all time 
Guess who's at number 12? Who's at what number? N- number 12. Um, so I'm going to say, if, if you're asking the question, you're probably going to be a little bit surprised then. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say they put uh, Barry Sanders at 12. <laughs> no. Barry Sanders was number one, but this is even better. Jim Brown's at number okay. 12. No, I mean, Jim Brown, I mean, I think, I mean, you could arguably say, like, he's the best player of all time. I know. <laughs> I know. But but that's that's almost, that's that's equally surprising, right? Barry Sanders, 12, Jim Brown, 12. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could put him any lower than two, maybe, at running back. Maybe, maybe I mean, you can't you put him any lower, like, overall as a player than, like, number three. I mean, that's a little low, too. I think he definitely, you know, up there with Tom Brady and Jerry Rice for best player of all time. Um, you know, Jim Brown actually has, you know, I think he only played like seven years, but his his production in seven years is better than what guys have today in like nine, ten years of production. So that's a little bit of a shocker there. And guess who's at number 20? Number 20. Uh... Again, if you're posing the question, I'm going to say it's going to be a little surprising. So let's say at number 20, guy that's maybe a little lower than he should be. Let's say, let's say, uh, let's say Earl Campbell at 20. Eric Dickerson. Oh, Eric Dickerson. Eric Dickerson definitely should be higher. Earl Campbell's at number so, six. So he's one of those guys. If I look at Eric Dickerson, he's he's one of those guys where. Um, you know, just like his numbers of a thousand yard seasons and all that stuff, all all pros. I mean, he was one of the best backs of the eighties. Um, it's always funny talking about Eric Dickerson. The funny line I have on him is he played at uh, Southern Miss at SMU when they were kind of paying players and all that stuff um, illegally. He said he actually took a pay cut to go to the NFL. He was getting paid so much. At SMU. <laughs> Yeah, but Eric Dickerson, definitely a prototype running back. Really fun to watch. Really just a flashy player, too. Especially with the rec specs, too, that he had on. Um, yeah, he, he, he's definitely, him and Marcus Allen were, you know, the top two backs of the 80s. So, I think he's got to be in the top 10 at least. Yeah, they have Earl Campbell. You mentioned Earl Campbell. They have him at six. They have Frank Gore. Okay. They have Frank Gore at five. Yeah, Frank Gore is definitely a, a guy that's, Depending on his numbers being on longevity like yeah. all those years. And this is even great too. Guess who was number twenty five who made the last cut? This is this man trended on Twitter. This man trended on Twitter today. Yeah, guess who was number twenty okay. fifth? Yeah, so twenty fifth. Um probably gonna be a guy that's more recent. So let's go with number twenty five. Let's go with Le'Veon Bell. No. Flipping it. Mark Ingram. Wow. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, I'm not really seeing that one there. <laughs> I think they wanted to kind of play on the younger viewers of Bleacher Report, kind of get some some younger uh, younger takes and more more modern players. Yeah, I, I post... And you know this. I post a bunch of sports lists on Snapchat. This list is probably coming up tonight, so you'll probably see it at some point. <laughs> you'll get to look at it, but it, it, it's... It's Barry Sanders one, Walter Payton two, Emmett three. They have Adrian Peterson four. They have Frank Gore out of Jim Brown, which I think is crazy. OJ seven, Tiki Barber's eighth. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's interesting. It's always and, 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 and like the last thing too. It's always kind of important to kind of go off airs of players, only because now the NFL is just so offensive heavy. It's just so so much of an advantage, especially in the passing game. So you're going to see these quarterbacks and these wide receivers that are kind of like average or above average today in the NFL have way better stats than pro bowlers of like the 70s and 80s. So it's definitely just, it's important to keep like the air in mind of a player because, um, you know, just, just, just how inflated these offensive stats are today in the NFL, specifically in the passing game. Um, you're kind of going to see um, even at like wide receiver, like you're going to see some guys get blocked by players that have played already, like Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. Like some some of those players at the late '90s, right before the boom, 
of offensive production, those like Pro Bowl players in the '90s are going to get blocked by players today that that played that might have not had like the All Pro potential or the, the All Pro numbers as guys did in the '90s. For um, example, like a, like a seven-time All Pro in the '90s might be tough to get in the Hall of Fame compared to like a guy today who's like a three-time All Pro, but he just has all the numbers uh, because of just how much of an advantage the passing game is. So something to keep in mind there. And you mentioned the greatest players of all time. You said Jim Brown, Tom Brady, Jerry Rice. You're forgetting my my guy LT in there too. Oh, Lauren Taylor, definitely. I mean, definitely got to be in the top five, probably all time. Of kind of that classic edge rusher, classic um, outside linebacker DN that that you look for. Kind of, you know, as you build up today's players, you kind of think of okay, does he have like the similar skill set and prototype of like a Lawrence Taylor. That's a very high honor for an edge rusher, almost like if you're comparing a guy to Tom Brady or Joe Montana at the quarterback position. I think he's the classic guy that you want to compare the, you know, the top players today, like the Miles Garrett, the Bozas, Chandler, see how they fit in. Do they have the skill set like a Lawrence Taylor, who was a guy, you know, in the 80s that, you know, he could wreck a game on defense all by himself. One, 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 one of the few players that could do that. Yes, and Kenny, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Always, always fun to be in the barbershop. Thanks for having me again. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again. Just my children and my wife I thank my lucky star